The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. I invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water, global warming, and your health. Do you feel dry? Do you have headaches? Allergies? Viruses more than uh, uh, too often? Dry mouth, dry skin, dry eyes that are always scratchy and blurry and make you feel drowsy too early in the day. Uh, anxiety and stress. You are made up of 50 trillion cells of water. Water is the power of your life. And each one of us every day should be praying for all the earth with the earth that life in water should be understood to save lives and to save our earth. And water is vital to all the planet. It's the most important source of energy, life on earth is the water. Yes, it is energy. You know, there's some common sense that I'm going to discuss before I talk about our show today, our special guest. Our planet is, in a, fam- is a family planet. Our energy is in a crisis. And that means your confidence is your energy. We all need to gather together and think about what is best for all. But when you have confidence, you'll have confidence with others as a team. We can be a team with this energy crisis. Together we can work for generations to come, for the water to be our life and our energy for all the planet. It must be protected. We must protect the air so that we can have the moisture in the air without the less pollution. Let's study what is available together. Let's do this together with our energy. Study what gas, oil, coal, biofuels, nuclear, wind, and solar can do for our planet as a planet together. For not only what is healthy and safer for us, but also the energy that it can give us back. And economy is energy, too. Our economy. Economy will benefit us all on the planet together if we learn what we can do to make things better. You are, you no longer need to be concerned about what others are doing. What you need to be concerned is you. What are you going to do about it? Your health is your attitude. You will pay for it, pay it forward to all the generations to come with a better attitude because you have the energy to do so. Wealth will be shared with all because of your energy and concerns for for what's best for all. And the power of water is the energy for all Earth to have a safer, better planet. And your confidence, of course, is in yourself. Let's think about energy. Of course, my concerns are about the water. We have a lot coming up in our lives in the future. But with your confidence, our confidence together, that is vital to the whole planet. Think about it. So when you get up in the morning, use just one sh- towel and save it. Don't just throw it in the dryer and throw it in the, the washing machine in the dryer. Let's save that towel. Let's turn off the lights as you walk through the rooms. Uh, if you go into town, go once. Don't go twice. Try to figure out how you can save fuel. When you eat, eat moderately. Think about you don't need to eat so much. Let's think about the trucks getting to the stores and getting to your plate. There's so many things you can do every day to be confident in yourself that you're adding to the energy of our planet as a family planet. Isn't it kind of fun? 
We'll have a lot of fun. I just know you will. Join me with that. Today we have an exciting guest. We had Ted, Ted Keeper from Oxford, California. He's the executive director of Global Water, a nonprofit international humanitarian organization that I think we're going to have a lot of fun listening to. He's a registered environmental manager and environmental engineer. That's going to be fun. He's working on, with his organization, overcoming hunger, disease, and poverty with water. And as you know, that's my pet. I've given 30 years of my life to this and lots and lots of money. Our second guest, Art Bernstein from Gold Hill, Oregon, a naturalist and author, will be discussing the world's deepest canyon located in Tibet and India. So we think we're going to have a lot of fun today. I hope you'll stay right with us. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing the eye with water. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Ted Keep. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. You're listening to The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health and the Energy of Your Climate. Without the water, there is no life, and I believe we all should be saying in our prayers that we should be praying for life-saving in the water and the saving of our planet with the water the most vital energy of all of our planet. Ted, are you with us? I am with you, Sharon. Well, thank you, and I, pro- I pr- apologize for pronouncing your name wrong. It's okay. It's Kepper. It actually is Kepper, yes. Okay, Ted Kepper. And you're in Ox- Oxnard, California? Yes, we're in Southern California. I just passed through there about a week ago. Okay. We were on our way to Ventura. Okay, well, actually, Oxnard is right next to Ventura. I know it. Uh, uh, we were they had just left Anaheim with a big National Safety Congress uh, gathering and uh, went to see some friends in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. But tell us about you, Ted. How did you get involved in concerns of global water and uh, international humanitarian uh, concerns? Okay. Well, my whole career as an environmental engineer has been working with water. Um, I worked for the Navy for uh, 30 years. Ah, you were on the water, too. <laughs> yes. And um, most of my work was, was with the seawater desalination, actually, because mm-hmm. 30 years ago the, the military was, um, as militaries around the world, were looking at uh, seawater desalination as a water treatment device for, uh, for their expeditionary forces. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I founded and directed a, uh, a facility called the Seawater Desalination Test Facility, uh-huh. And we became a major facility for government uh, agencies and for private companies who were, 30 years ago, were just getting into uh, developing components for mm-hmm. the seawater desalination industry. Mm-hmm. Now, today it's a, it's a large industry, of course, oh, yeah. around the world, but 30 years ago it was just in its infancy. Now, you were one of the uh, beginning people involved in that. Well, I was one of the, the beginning folks that helped to support the industry. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And we ourselves did not develop uh, any of the technologies that, that we. Well, see I meant today. you personally. You were involved in kind of the but, forefront of uh, the exploration of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when, uh, as you can imagine, when private industry was first creating the reverse osmosis membranes, for instance, mm-hmm. that's used now throughout the world for seawater desalination, mm-hmm. they needed somebody to test those membranes, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we we filled that um, mm-hmm. that niche. Wow, what a, what a discovery! Um, do you think you know? I can imagine how much that's costing to do that. Give us an idea with your background, and, and every once in a while, if I take you into a direction that you can't answer, that's just fine. Uh, but uh, how much do you think it's costing to to do that? Let's say you're living in an area and uh, uh, somewhere in uh, Asia or wherever that you need to do the desalination. Is it, it, it very? It's got to be very expensive. You know, the price of seawater desalination has come down dramatically in the past, uh, especially the past five years, mm-hmm. because now we have energy recovery devices that basically recycle 90% of the energy that's put into a, uh, a seawater desalination. So, but how much does it cost for that device, that, that um, engineering? Well, the, the overall cost, um, generally speaking, of a, of a desal plant, I can give you one figure. It's it's between uh, two and four dollars per thousand gallons okay. of water that's produced. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, energy is the is the number one um, operation and maintenance cost for something mm-hmm. like seawater desalination. Mm-hmm. But here in Southern California, you know, we we get most of our water from Northern California, mm-hmm. and that requires pumping. And and with the the latest energy recovery devices that are now available, it's actually more uh, uh, cost-effective to desalinate seawater here in Southern California Mm -hmm. than to pump water from Northern California down here. Yeah. What about the other states of uh, like Colorado? Um, How do you mean? No, it doesn't. uh, Colorado also send water into like Southern California. Yes. Well, because I've had the head of that in uh, on my show. Yeah, well, the, Colorado, the Southern California does get water from the Colorado River. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, they, they do share that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So your waters in or in California that come in there are coming uh, uh, from Northern California and then from Colorado. Yes, yes, yeah. and there is some groundwater as well, but oh yeah, I most know. of it comes from Northern California, and then a lot from Colorado. About a third comes from the Colorado River. Now um, let's get into um, our listeners can understand. Now, before I move on to, to from desalination, there um, a little bit about your background. Being an environmental engineer, I'm really excited to hear that background. How long have you been an environmental engineer? Oh, for 40 years. Oh, good. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> wow. it, I, I love experience. <laughs> you know, experience is very important. To you know, a lot of times we find people who just started something and. And uh, I, I kind of like people who have had a few years, at least a, a decade or two. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, understanding environmental engineering, what does that mean? And then our, our uh, listeners will understand your background to really support some of the questions and how you will teach us. This is going to be a classroom today, thank you, uh, Ted. Well, environmental engineers um, work with, um, generally speaking, either water or air, or land type of um, type of facilities. Mm-hmm. 
um, also pollution-related type of facilities. Anything to do with solar? Um, you know, generally speaking, no. Okay, um, that's solar, okay. Yeah, solar power. You know, the folks that, that deal with that would be uh, more uh, electrical, mechanical engineers. And, and what about the wind? Is that also the other side? It can be, but okay. wind, of course, is, is mostly mechanical engineering. You know, Exactly. Uh, okay. But um, what we get involved with quite often is, is water and an air type of, um, type of um, uh, questions. Good. Okay. As well as, uh, of course, as, uh, as well as waste discharge type of uh, type of questions. Okay. Good. Okay. Now uh, let's dive into what you think you want to teach us today. Well, um, I guess we'll talk about global water since. Uh, okay. Let's do that. That's uh, and then uh, um, global. Okay. Tell us about the global water situation from uh, an environmental engineer's field. Uh, your, your vision there. What's happened? What, let's, let's start out with what you think has happened and what we can do. Well, you know, the, the water, the, we talk about the water crisis in the, in the developing world. Um, the developing world has had a water crisis for centuries, basically. Um, you know, one of the things that I, uh, that I tell folks is that when I go to the developing world and I interact with the rural villages, which is mm-hmm. mostly who we work with in global water. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, work, I'm looking and I'm, I'm working with people that are basically living as humans lived thousands of years ago mm-hmm. because they're going down to a stream to, uh, to get water. Mm-hmm. And um, that water, you know, a thousand years ago might have been pristine, but today it's not. Mm-hmm. And, um, now, and we've had people from the United Nations and different groups on here heading their groups, too, um, like you do yours. Um, they're walking. I'm, I'm going to envision something here with our scene. As they get up in the morning, they begin the moment, but they start with these jugs. And the children don't get to go to school because they're having to help go down and get the water and bring it back, too, for their daily whatever they need. <clears throat> yeah, that, that can be the case. Um, quite often they try to fit that in, of course, before school and after school. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as possible. Depends on where the water source is. Well, and they're depending upon prepared. women. Uh, I've been told uh, tremendously to do this. And women, can how many trips a day do you think a woman goes back and forth to get the water? Um, generally, I would say on average probably twice a day. Twice a day. It, it depends on where the water Unless is. She trips though. and falls and has to go back. And I, I, I'm going to be. I said this recently with the show, and I said with somebody we were talking, and I said, yeah, unless she trips, falls and has to go back again and start all over. Right. And that's human. Right. And then we yes. take our water back to our, where we're, our lives are living. And uh, what's it for? Is it for, uh, now I'm going to hit some, I'm in the health field forever in research, but it's going to be for what? What do you think they're going to use it for? That will the water they carried over there. Well, they, they, of course, they use it for drinking and cooking. Not for sanitation. Primarily. Not for going to the bathroom and washing your hands and flushing. No, your gen- generally not. For, if you don't yeah. have a water source at your home site, yeah. generally speaking, water is not being used exactly. for, uh, for hygiene exactly. at the house. I'm a little more blunt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I think sometimes we, we pass through our visions of life on what we think is the most comfortable, but I just said it to the, uh, with one of our shows with the United Nations group. Okay, 
They're carrying it over there. What are they using it for? It sure isn't for flushing the toilet, washing your hands. And uh, those important bacteria-safe things that you do for yourself. Right. Okay, um, now, um, so they're drinking and cooking with it. What are you finding when, when you've gotten down to whether a water source? And, you lo- and, and first of all, I would think, well, okay, we've come through the thousands of years, and there may have been diminishing, but what is it? because it's diminishing and getting lower into the ground, what are you finding? Are the cattle and the animals still going in it, bathing and and, well, and yes, and alleviating in it. And, well, that's uh, that's the problem with surface water, surface water being um, streams and rivers and lakes, mm-hmm. primarily, um, is that you have a, a lot of animal um, interaction, yeah. human interaction, but also a lot of animal interaction, domestic right. and and and, uh, and wild animals in that water, and that's what causes the uh, you know the. The contamination. Most of the contamination that we deal with is microorganisms. Well, of course. There's, there's no, you know, we we deal specifically with rural populations in in the developing world. Mm-hmm. So we don't. We're not dealing with industrial pollution or anything like that. It's all microorganisms. Right. It is. And now, most of the water sources. Let me just mention. Um, the, we work primarily uh, in Central America. We, we have projects um, in other locations, but primarily we're working in Central America. Mm-hmm. There, there actually is a lot of water mm-hmm. um, because of, it has a, a rainy season that lasts uh, about six months out of the year. Mm-hmm. But they're all surface water type of uh, situations, and they're all about uh, about a third of them are contaminated. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the major uh, symptom? The most common symptom with the microorganism bacteria problem? Well, diarrhea. Diarrhea. And then the second symptom that comes along with diarrhea? I'm um, going to the skin. Um, did you notice um, the skins are having a lot of um, serious diseases? You know, it depends on the area. If the, if the microorganisms are protozoa, Mm-hmm. then, yes, you can have all kinds of um, skin-related type of diseases. Because uh, they can't bathe, they can't um, but, dehydrate it. Uh, yeah. Diarrhea is actually the, probably the, the, the biggest cause of infant mortality in the developing world. Oh, my. Yeah. It's, it's a, how often have you gone? Uh, how often do you go to those places? I'm generally going twice a year. Twice um, a year? Yes, down to, uh, pr- primarily, as I said, down to Central America. Mm-hmm. We have one project actually going on right now in Indonesia, and we have one project, uh, one rain catchment project in Africa. But mm-hmm. um, but primarily, and it's all just due to funding limitations. Now, when you go, what is your purpose to go? I I mean I'm, I don't want to okay. be obvious, but what's the purpose that your organization go, goes? Good, good question. I go for two reasons. One is to see completed projects. Now, when you say a completed project, what was the project? Okay. I'll give you a kind of a rundown of what a typical project would be in a village. Um, we'll find a, a uh, safe uh, spring, water spring, natural spring, coming out of a hillside mm-hmm. of, of, uh, with an elevation above that village. Mm-hmm. And um, what we'll do is we'll build a concrete box, basically, around that spring to protect it from contamination. Build a little reservoir. Pardon me? You'll build a reservoir. Well, it's not really a reservoir. I would, uh, it really is a concrete box okay. that just fits around. As you can imagine, these natural springs, these are just you know, water dribbling out of the side of a hillside. I, I, yeah, okay. Okay. 
and um, and so we build this box. We have uh, piping uh, that we attach to the to the basically the drain of this box mm-hmm. goes down the hillside to or towards a village. Now, do you put that in pipe? Yes, it's all PVC piping. Okay, lightweight pit piping. Okay. Then that then that piping goes into a, a tank, a distribution tank that's built on site mm-hmm. uh, with an elevation just above that village, mm-hmm. and then from there. The water goes into uh, into uh, hopefully uh, water taps at the the different home sites. Okay. If the home sites are too spread o- apart, then we'll put in centralized uh, so they can go locations. Retrieve. Okay. It just depends on how spread out the village is and and how much funding we have because it obviously costs more to put in uh, taps at each of the home sites. Right. And We're going to listen to our sponsor, and when we come back, let's discuss that, um, how, what's happening with your funding and then uh, those projects that are going on, because this is ex- a very exciting work you're doing, and I really absolutely almost had tears in my eyes listening to your tone there, because you really, really care. Mm-hmm. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back, Ted. Okay, sure. Okay, we'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. This is Sharon Kleina, and you are listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. Today we have Ted Keeper, who's with... Uh, an organization called um, International Humanitarian Water. of Water. And uh, today we were talking before our moment with our sponsor about what they did with their projects in different countries uh, to provide water. Uh, Ted, we were just talking about the, the you, may, you make a, a concrete, I assume it's out of concrete. It is, yes. Block. Because it's, it's built in place. And and then you pipe it down to the village or the where people are living, yes. and many of it, much of it, probably can't go into their homes. But you probably had a, a distribution of a spot where they can at least go at a short, small distance from their home to get their water every day. Well, typically, actually, we never put the water inside the home itself. Yeah. Um, the the best we can do is is place the uh, the water just outside the house. Okay. There's really, you know, the houses are uh, very, very small, mm-hmm. and there's really not a lot of room to uh, to put faucets and uh, and drains right. and things like that. Now, the, the other thing, though, is that whenever we do go into a village and put in a, a water system, we try to put in uh, new latrines as well. Okay. The sanitation, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, as well as I, goes hand in hand uh-huh. with uh, with water systems, mm-hmm. and so we uh, we try to do both. When we work in schools, we try to put in hand-washing stations, which end up being kind of a catch-all for, uh, for all water uses at schools. So the kids are brushing their teeth, 
um, washing up. They they uh, wash their um, their dishes after their snack, mm-hmm. and um, and that's all very important too because mm-hmm. that's you know this is where the education has to come in and teach children to uh, proper hygiene. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have the facilities there at the schools, it's impossible to teach them. Of course. And when we first got involved um, with uh, with schools in Guatemala. Uh, Peace Corps volunteers were were teaching hygiene at these schools um, without without any facilities. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can imagine, they were teaching children how to brush their teeth without any water, mm-hmm. and they were teaching them to wash their hands without water. Water. And it was just it was just a crazy situation. You know, I have been uh, to tell you a little bit about myself, and uh, it'll be uh, you'll relate because of your life being with it. I long ago, I'm 67, and long ago I decided that stress is because of lack of moisture in the air, lubrication of the body and the skin, and not drinking enough water. As I studied the world and, um, and around the world, I found that the word water had been taken for granted in my thinking um, that people didn't realize with, it's the energy of our earth. And one time I read this, the back of this book, and this little child says to the mother, well, um, in the water, you know, and something about what's in the water. And she said, God is in the water, that the power of this earth is through the water. And, Ted, you obviously believe that because long ago, I mean, you believe the power of water, um, that without the water there is no life. And without water, there's that uh, you don't you, the, uh, there's disease out of control, and that people forever long ago, way back in time and to date, are having wars over the fact that they don't have water. Right. People leave if there's no water. They go to the closest place to find water in countries that are being they're being killed because people don't want them coming right. to their uh, their locations because they have just enough water for their where who's living there. Right. Well, in the beginning of your program, you mentioned the fact that the thing that uh, that drives us um, primarily is the fact that we do believe the the root cause of disease, hunger, and poverty in the developing world is a lack of water. Of course. And uh, and it's the most by far to to us it's the most important um, resource. That, uh, that is lacking in the developing world. Well, and Every, education. Everything else, everything else pales. You know, Ted, I, with this world. show, I could have had a lot of different topics uh, on health issues and research and findings and so on, but I decided to call it the power of water because I needed to go out into the world and pay my dues to earn ranks, to earn your respect and others. Can we join together and find, together and spread the education and the message that without water, there is no life? Well, you know, the visibility of water problems in the developing world has increased dramatically in the past decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that visibility and awareness hasn't really translated into funding uh, mm-hmm. in a, an appreciable way to solve these problems. This is not rocket science. By no, any stretch of the imagination. It's common sense. Well, we're, you know, you need to get a water source, and if we don't have natural mm-hmm. springs and we, and we don't have um, surface water, then we dig wells. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once you have that water source, if it's already clean, then you can just distribute it. If not, we have to disinfect that water. Mm-hmm. But this is not, um, you know, 
some sort of far-out uh, science. This is yeah. a very, very mundane mm-hmm. um, state-of-the-art type of, uh, type of work. Exactly. It just has to be funding, and there just hasn't been enough funding in the past. Now, let's talk about that, because it's an issue today, and you and I are, uh, in the last two weeks, uh, I've been hearing about those issues that are going to be coming. Uh, our, our, our communities are not passing um, budgets to, for the fire department to come fight your fire. They haven't been fighting, uh, passing budgets for the police officer to protect you and, and your troops to protect you. I mean, they really just as soon figure out if they, if, that they won't pay, that uh, it'll come from somewhere. Although when there's a crisis, they say, oh, my God, where's my responder second? Um, and we've been su- uh, supporting a lot of good causes like yourself in the world that we have been going all over the world helping others. What do you think is going to happen now in the future when we're having to do a kickback on, on evaluating our own economy and what we're going to do, uh, what we can find affordable now because of this latest uh, economy crisis? Yeah. Well, there's, you know, finding funding for nonprofit organizations has always been a challenge, mm-hmm. but it is, uh, it is even getting uh, more more of a challenge. Now, your funding came from what source? We, we get mostly from some small sources. We do have some corporate sponsors. Mm-hmm. The uh, Clearly Canadian Beverage Corporation is yeah, I a, saw that. Major, mm-hmm. a major donor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly from, uh, from, all small, uh, from small donors. From private sources of c- companies? Private sources, yes. Mm-hmm. Foundations and just individuals. So you're not going to be really worried about uh, what how your sources, because they'll probably stay, uh, keep the, uh, being a source because of who they are. Well, I, I, I don't know that. <laughs> I, I, I hope you're, uh, you're right, but I really don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, we're a small organization, and for the most part, we avoid working with governments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there has actually been a lot of money that has gone into water, uh, theoretically, into water programs in the developing world. From government to government, you know, the U.S. government has spent you know, mm-hmm. billions of dollars, many, many billions of dollars, in one form or another, theoretically for water systems in the developing world. Mm-hmm. But when a government gives money to a government, um, quite often that money is not spent in that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Global Water, being a small organization, we don't work through governments, and in fact, as I mentioned, we we avoid working with uh, with government agencies. I'm going to come out as a. Part. I'm very outspoken. <laughs> um, I am really. I think you should be grateful, <laughs> uh, because I, I think if you keep doing what you're doing to get your sources to to continue your program that is so vital to all life on Earth, you'll have a better chance. Who wants to go to the government? Um, it, it's it's um, the uh, co- corporations out there and private entities have such passion, and and, and I'm going to say the government doesn't have the passion that private in, uh, entities do, and mm-hmm. that's my opinion, Ted. I, I'm sorry, you know, I come from like you do. You have your uh, concern, your passion. You have going global water concerns of life on Earth. You would not. It's very difficult to get the. And with the government starts in, all of a sudden you're going to be used as a source to get money trickled to whatever directions, and you may end up on the totem pole anyway. Right. Uh, but water, from as far as I'm concerned, listeners, what there is no priority above water. Mm-hmm. You bring up a good point, though. You're right. Governments 
lack do lack passion and um, one of the one of the perks of this job is that I get to meet people all over the world that have tremendous passion you know we're one of the things about global water we're a uh, volunteer organization mm-hmm. so th- no one no one is getting a salary here so that's why you know all of practically all the money that that is donated to global water goes right into these projects my goodness it, we're, we're very unique in that in that you regard. are unique yeah and so Right about the only people. That, <laughs> the only people that I deal with are passion people, uh-huh. or they wouldn't be doing this in the first yes. place. And I go to the developing world, and I'm, I'm meeting folks there that uh, that have started organizations. You know, nonprofit organizations in the developing world are called non-governmental organizations, NGOs, and that's who we deal with. We don't send teams of Americans to the developing world to build stuff. Mm-hmm. We um, we fund local NGOs to do all of the building mm-hmm. that, that we work with. Now, what's an NGO? So our listeners will understand. You know, an NGO is just a term that's used for, um, for a nonprofit organization okay. in the developing world. It stands for non-governmental organization. Okay, non-government, non-government. Non-governmental. <laughs> yeah, non-governmental organization. And it's just the counterpart term used for a nonprofit, uh-huh. typically. And um, and so this is another difference between Global Water and lots of other organizations. Now, how did you get started in this? Uh, was there somebody who's the founder? You know how, how I got started. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, I was working for the Navy. Uh-huh. The Navy has well drilling equipment, and they were surplusing mm-hmm. some well drilling equipment. So I I knew about that, and so I started contacting nonprofit organizations just to see if any of them wanted this surplus, orga- uh, okay. surplus equipment. All right. and Global Water was one of those organizations that I contacted, okay. and I started doing some writing for them in the beginning, and then little mm-hmm. by little I just got mm-hmm. more and more involved. You know how Good for you. I, you know, I, I ha- cannot say, I, I have millions of dollars, we, our company, behind what we're doing with water therapy as the future to not replace anything in particular but be added to uh, the world for a better benefit of your health. In other words, if it, we're so dehydrated today, and, and you and I will both tell our audience, you must be drinking lots of good water mm-hmm. every day. Let's say no less than 10, let's hope we're around 12 glasses of water a day. But uh, to replace the lost moisture, and we need that moisture in the air that we don't see without the pollution. But, but Ted, I learned in my studies that indoor pollution is worse than outdoor. I don't care how bad that is outdoors and indoors because of the insulation of windows and walls and forced air heating and cooling and all the chemistry and the fabrics and all the detergents and everything indoors is dehydrating us almost to death. But I found that in uh, dedicating uh, my concerns for water therapy to be part of what we need for a benefit, not just chemistry, not just formulated products to touch us, and but add the water to it, it would make it more solvent, make it better. And uh, so long ago, I, I, my knees were shaking years ago before I had determined in final study that without the water, there is no earth. Without the water, disease is out of control. And a lot of people are not drinking enough water. They brag, well, I've gotten this far. Well, but you can almost look at their skin and see that the skin tells you the story. If your skin is dry and looks very parched or you look very tired and your skin isn't supple, you are not drinking enough water and and able to eliminate uh, through the skin with lubrication. So water 
is vital, and the moisture in the air that you're breathing has got to have oxygen, moisture. So water is the, is the whole source of all life, and you're giving your life to that now. Um, tell us a little bit, uh, with our little bit of time left, uh, is there something you would like to add to our audience uh, to t- teach them today about something they might not have thought of? Well, the, you know, the one thing that, um, that I did think of, um, your producer mentioned the fact that um, you do have a, a number of people in, Aust- in Australia that listen to your program. Mm-hmm. And um, the connection I have with Australia, uh, actually my daughter was working there for several years, but I went to um, northern Sumatra, the Aceh area after the tsunami, mm-hmm. and um, that was a tremendous experience for wow. me. Um, putting in water systems in the encampments there in Aceh. Mm-hmm. And I, what I noticed there is that I, I was there two weeks after the tsunami hit. Oh, my goodness. And already there was too many doctors in the area. There, as you may know, with the tsunami, there was a tremendous number of people killed, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a lot of people injured um, because those waves came in with such fury that... Um, there wasn't injuries. There was, uh, unfortunately, there was deaths. And there was in this area that I was in, there was about 200,000 people killed. Uh-huh. But two weeks after the tsunami, too many doctors, plenty of food. So the international um, uh, first responder type of crisis emergency personnel is very, very good at bringing in food and, and medical type mm-hmm. of uh, resources. Mm-hmm. What it didn't have was water. Yeah. Water sanitation and hygiene, this is the oh, thing that you're, yeah. that you're mentioning. And if it wasn't for the Australian Army that set up water purification devices there in the city of Banda Aceh and, they, and water from, from the water systems that they, that they installed was sent all over northern Sumatra. If it wasn't for those folks, oh. it would have been tremendous water Everybody problem. applaud for that. Oh, my goodness. And, and what I realize is that the international... Uh, first responder community relies on militaries mm-hmm. in order to provide water, you know, in these kinds of you know crisis situations. And I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think the international um, aid organization should have their own water hygiene sanitation right. equipment that can go into these first responder type of uh, locations and be a part of the first response. Right. Because water would be the issue number one. Yeah. I mean, I, I I've talked to lots of folks in the international. Um, aid organization industry, you know, I'll call it an industry, and mm-hmm. I haven't gotten anyone yet to uh, to subscribe to actually working with first responder water sanitation and hygiene equipment. Well, what we need is our listeners, this and is I'm the direction that I'm that I'm moving towards. This is something I mentioned to our listeners, and I'm going to not I'm going to be nonstop. Our energy crisis, let's call it our own physical energy, is losing some confidence, uh, Ted. We keep thinking about, can we do it? Can we do it? You bet your life we can do it. And I was listening to someone the other day, a very important person on our planet, and he said, he was from another country, and he said, you know, they were saying something about, well, you're so powerful, and da-da. No, he said, no, 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 we're not that powerful because we have so many people in poverty. We, we, no way. But the American people and people of the world can do things together that are so powerful during situations and come through it every time. And it's a team planet. It's a family planet. And the crisis now is getting confidence that you can, you can. It's kind of like, Ted, I said, 
many times, if you trip on a step, don't blame the step. Take responsibility. You should have been watching. When we're in an energy crisis and water is an issue forever, we can't forget it for a second. People like yourself with globewater.org, people going to you and learning more about it. Study, listeners, study. It's enjoyable to study. And listen to Ted, what do you have to say? Because you're right, Ted. If there's a crisis, drink more water. It's like I've always said. If you're under stress, drink tons of water. But if you're in a crisis with a, a hurricane or a tornado or earthquake or something that is nature's caused something, water issues should be the first responders. Right, right. The first responders. Well, we're all connected. We're as, all connected. As you know better than most. And, we do, uh, because we're in the water. <laughs> and we're all doing things. Well, many of us are doing things that, that are just trying to help those that, uh, that don't have as much as we do. Well, you sure are. You you sure are. Now, when's your next trip before we uh, have to say goodbye? You know, I may have to, I may end up going in November, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, For the most part, I go in the fall and the spring, which is the Mm -hmm. the beginning and the ending of the rainy season. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, if folks want to learn more about global water, it's uh, globalwater.org. Mm-hmm. www.globalwater.org. Well, we're going to have to do, when you go on your next trip, I'd love to have my producer, uh, Sarah Seals, call you and get, let's hear about how it's going. And every once in a while, keep us updated and we'll have another show. So we're all learning about your commitment here and the people that are with you on your team. Let's learn together. And I think the listeners need to study. The word study means we're going to evaluate and have an idea of what might be and be confident it can happen. It's, it will happen. Uh, good things do happen if you're confident. Well, Ted, thank you for all your time and your commitment. My pleasure, Sharon. Thank you for being on, and uh, uh, bless you. Okay, take you care. You have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to cry, but I won't. Isn't he something? And uh, you could tell in his tone and what he believed for so long that water is an issue uh, at all times. And, and remember, you're made up of 50 trillion cells, and those cells have got to be productive, and those cells have to have oxygen, eliminate, lubricate, and you will not be inconfident because you'll have all that oxygen to give you that power of life. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Art Bernstein, the naturalist author, who will talk about the world's deepest canyon. We'll be right back. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Welcome you back to the Sharon Clowney Hour. Today we're going to be talking with Art Bernstein, who is a naturalist 
an author of a lot of hiking books, and his topic today is The World's Deepest Canyons, located in Tibet and India. Art, how are you? Good morning, Sharon. How are you this morning? I'm just dandy. Oh, I like that. Woo! Yeah. I'm glad you're dandy <laughs> after all that's going on around the world. I think we're all needing that dandy confidence, Art. Yeah, my, my stocks are crashing, but other than that, happy as a clam. Well, you know what I just said? Confidence. Right. You know, the, the, the conference board in New York is, was formed after World War II with Truman and, and, and Churchill, and, and uh, they decided if we had a global uh, gathering of, this, of the chairmen of the corporations and CFOs and CEOs and more, and that we could learn how to keep the confidence because it's the confidence in people that lowers value. Right. If you have confidence that you can, you can, you can, it takes hard work mentally. But if you can, you can, you can, and you know you can, that's contagious art. So we're going to be confident. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Our energy is going to be confident, and we know water will give us lots of oxygen if we drink plenty. It's like whenever I have stress, which we all can get it easily, I run a big corporation, and you think about the stress, okay, I'll drink another water. Oh, I just had some more stress, I'll drink some more water. But it's oxygen, it's elimination, and it gets me, it's my tonic, life in water. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. And you chose today to discuss the world's deepest canyon located in Tibet and India, and Tibet and the Himalayan Mountains is one of my favorite subjects to oh, study. Oh, absolutely. Tell us about why you chose that. Uh, well, I was reading about the Grand Canyon, um, and then, uh, which is, I read, oh, it's, not, it's the second deepest canyon in North America, 6,000 feet deep, and then the, the deepest is Hell's Canyon on the border between Idaho and uh, Oregon. Mm-hmm. So then I looked up Hell's Canyon and I said, well, there are two canyons deeper in South America. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up the South American canyons. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't say this under the Grand Canyon. But I said the deepest canyon in the world is believed to be the Tsangpo Gorge that starts in Tibet and empties into India. Now, is that, is that in the Himalayan Mountains? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you look on a map, you can see that the Himalayas rise very steeply up out of uh, the the Indian Plain mm-hmm. uh, in East India. So what's our border then? Does it border in China and India? Well, Tibet is China. It is what? Tibet is China. I know, but so I'm talking about the, the deepest canyon. Right. So is it got its borders of different countries? It starts in uh, Tibet and it ends in India. Okay. And it starts as the Tsangpo River, which is a thousand miles long and the highest major river in the world with an average elevation of 10,000 feet. My goodness. Now, okay. And in, okay. 100, in 150 miles, it drops from 10,000 feet to 1,000 feet, makes 180 degree turns, enters India, and becomes the Brahmaputra River. Now, is it the main source of water in India? Oh, there's lots of water in India. Oh, okay. All of it's contaminated. But there is a lot of water in India? Oh, yeah. There's the Ganges and, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very moist area and very humid. Mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, on that part of India, India is so deserty and so dry. Is that part of India where it comes from, China? Is that and from those mountains that all very heavily have a lot of trees and um, that part of it, that side of it? 1,000 feet is pretty much above tree line, so that the entire Tibetan plateau is all, you know, just sort of like grassland. Grassland. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's interesting is, is measuring this thing. Mm-hmm. They, they measure the Grand Canyon from the rim down to the river, okay? Mm-hmm. It's about 6,000 feet at the deepest point. Mm-hmm. Hell's Canyon has a rim on one side, but on the other side it has mountains that go right down to the river. So they measure Hell's Canyon from the top of the mountain, which is Sea Devil Peak, which is 9,400 feet down to the river. Now, if you measure Grand Canyon the same way, the Grand Canyon is in a big volcanic bulge caused by uh, Humphreys Peak, which is the highest mountain in Arizona, which is 30 miles south. Mm Mm-hmm. So you could, if you wanted, measure the depth of Grand Canyon from the top of Mount Humphreys. That would make its depth uh, 10,000 feet mm-hmm. instead of 6,000 feet. Now, what you do in the Tsangpo Gorge, there's a 25,000-high-foot mountain in the Himalayas. Uh, I wrote the name down here somewhere. A 25,000 feet high. Yeah. It's, it's called uh, Mancha Barwa. Mm-hmm. And the river makes a big horseshoe loop around this mountain. Mm -hmm. And in that horseshoe loop, it drops from from 10,000 feet to 1,000 feet. My goodness. So you could say legitimately that the depth of this canyon is 24,000 feet. And I bet there's very little pollution in the water. However, the Chinese are thinking of damming it. Mm Mm-hmm. They want to build what would be the world's biggest dam. Big they have right now the world's biggest dam. Right. They're going to build another one. Well, as soon as they get done with the Three Gorges Dam, which is going to be the, the world's fourth or fifth biggest dam and the world's biggest hydroelectric plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you were telling me, and I uh, will get back on to your subject that, for the class today, but uh, in China they have the world's biggest dam, but it started... Uh, didn't have enough fluctuation or flow, and it started having a lot of contamination? Or maybe somebody else told uh, me that. No, I, that wasn't me. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, they're having to get resourceful now because they are very, uh, the waters are so polluted, they've got to get more ingenuitive by uh, adding more water sources to. Uh... Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you've taught me a lot, Art, about, Thank you. When you first tell me, okay, we've got a 25,000 height of mountains, mm-hmm. what would be the influence when Earth first had its volcanoes and it formed and it had the lava m- movement before all came to life? What caused those mountains to be that high? What was the, what was the reason that those mountains are higher than we have over here in Oregon? Most mountains... Uh, at, at some level, were originally volcanic, which means that uh, there were a molten pocket inside the uh, under the earth. Um, okay. The Himalayas are where two major continental plates collide. Okay, explain the word plates. Um, basically, the world has these uh, granitic uh, like rafts 
floating around, and they move around, and right now they are where they are. Mm -hmm. But the Indian subcontinent is a plate, and the, uh, the main part of Asia is a plate. Now, when there's a plate under the earth like that, is that where there's a lot of susceptible to uh, earthquakes? Absolutely, positively, yes. Okay. Definitely. That's what I wanted to bring to our audience. So way back in time, when the, the volcanoes were erupting and the lava flowed and it moved like uh, unbelievable, uh, like, uh, like jello, and all of a sudden it, something changed in the climate and it got a cycle and it became f formed and got harder. And then as the cycle passed and years passed, it's what happened, the way it moved back and forth, and some mountains are higher and some mountains are lower because of that movement like jello. Am I wrong? Yeah, also uh, there's folding and there's tearing and there's all sorts of things. All they happen. can imagine where the jello would on, 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 a, on a lesser level. Okay, I'm kind of using the word jello because okay. I don't know what else. I don't want to use pudding or because uh, jello kind of when it moves, it, it, it bounces. Well, it's correct to think of the Earth's crust as fluid. Mm hmm. But just like you think of a glacier as fluid, if you touch it, it's hard as, you know, it's, it's very hard. But uh, if you watch it over time, it's liquid. Okay, now in Tibet and its influence with India, what if China does build that dam? What's it going to do with the influence of that particular water resource to India? Uh, it's going to dry up the Brahmaputra River, which uh, is the major river in eastern India. Mm-hmm. That'll give uh, the Chinese complete control over the water of a you know a billion people. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, well, when when you build a dam, it still flows. Yeah, but the the potential storage is just uh, you know, and they can turn it off. Mm -hmm. Oh, the concerns of uh, of of uh, turning it off whenever they wish to back yeah, up. Yeah, India could go to war over that. I mean, that's how, how much they don't want China to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, there may be uh, a resource there where they both can benefit uh, once they decide and bring that um, consortium together to, to uh, bring a group together to discuss that. I'm sure there's going to be a long time before they build it then. Yeah, I'm not against dams, but I, uh, I'm not real happy about building a dam on the world's deepest gorge and, you know, messing up the... Uh, oh, I can see what you're saying there. Oh, yeah, in the world's deepest gorge. Right. That would be like damming the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. which they also have tried to do. My goodness, what if something would ever happen with that and all of a sudden, let's say there's an earthquake under it and something would collapse? Yeah, well, that's happened, too. They have to think about that, too. Was that in that the uh, There was an earthquake and the dam broke and... Mm -hmm. About 30, 40 years ago. Now, I remember one of our shows was on the Connecticut River, and they had a lot of dams. But the river still flowed and came in from Canada, flowed through to the Atlantic Ocean, and they had a lot of dams, though, and they've never had a problem. But, yeah, that's of course, whatever, what, however they're doing those dams, those water reservoirs, I should say, uh, they thought out all of it, and it's been pristine. The fish are still healthy. I think they had 110 species of fish. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also a theory that if you dam up a river, it sort of makes the rocks uh, and the fault lines a little slipperier because uh, water is a lubricant, mm -hmm. and therefore uh, you're likely to have more earthquakes if you, you know, behind the. Uh, uh, but that's just a theory. Nobody knows if that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, but uh, nobody knows. 
Yeah, it's, 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 uh, there, I have never heard of that theory. Uh, they, they think that the Sichuan earthquake might have had something to do with the uh, the water behind the backup of water behind the Three Gorges Dam. Mm-hmm. But if uh, if it did, it was like uh, it contributed like one percent. Yeah. So. Okay, back to the uh, the, the canyon in uh, Tibet and in India. Uh, what kind of trees are in in in, in that area? You know, I should know, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not real familiar with the. Sometime, let's talk. I'd like to, whenever we do this, because I, I have this thing because I live in Oregon. I always think about the trees that are here on our mountains, and and when I think of a mountain someplace and canyons, and uh, what are the trees? What are there? What are there? What is there? What is are there bushes? I, I know in the Himalayas, and the, there's spruce and pine, the same as we have here. Okay, well then that would down on the. Uh, the Ganges Plain, uh, uh, it would be hardwoods, you know, which uh, I couldn't really tell you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything you'd like to say before we leave to our audience about what you believe you learned the most about with the deepest canyon? And, and you're saying the world's deepest canyon is located in Tibet and India. What is it that what fascinated you about that? Uh, I'm always fascinated by natural superlatives. That's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also intrigued. It wasn't discovered until, like, 1976. Uh, I think uh, they've run it in a, a raft once. I'll be darned. They never discovered it? Even the planes that fly over never yeah. noticed it? Yeah. And somebody Probably everybody still... took it for granted. Everybody knows there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also amazing. Now, what's the name of this location again? I forget. The Tsangpo Gorge. It's 150 miles long. Yeah, spell that. T S A N G P O. Okay. Well, we have to go. I really enjoyed that. Great. Next time, let's talk because it's two things about something like that. I want to learn what the rock, what type of rock it is, and what type of of uh, trees and bushes do they have. I'm curious on those kind of locations. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Okay. We, I really enjoyed it. Have a nice day. Bye. Well, we're back to. Life, energy, and what we learned today. The power of water, your life, and this globe. It is vital to your health. And everything has to have moisture or you can't live. And it's that unseen moisture in the air, by the way, uh, to live and be healthy all over the world, all over the planet. You're living with a family planet. Your energy and your confidence is very important to you, and you can pay it forward. If you have confidence that you can, you can and energy is important to you and all kinds of energy. Uh, remember uh, what you do each day to add to the abundance of energy we all need becomes very important to your health and the rest of the and generations to come. And the economy we're finding out too, your confidence. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life. Every precious moment, Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint for many generations to come. Thank you for listening. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. 